Welcome to the Eucatastrophe, where we meander through politics, pop culture, church, and society to consider true human ends and how life may be enchanted. My name's Joel Harrison. I'm here with Dave Taylor, as always, and it's great that you're with us. We are going to be discussing in this episode love. Mm. Mm. That's a really <laughs> creepy thing, Love and all that entails. Um, now, I feel, I said this to Dave earlier, I kind of feel like we're those two married guys that you've called into the youth group mm. to give that talk. <laughs> <laughs> so this made me think, Dave, what was your gauchest experience of, you know, people trying to give you good chats? Oh man, we we had that we had that exact thing so many times. Kind of the the older married couple coming, splitting the boys and girls up, um, you know, talking to the talking to some of the girls after they grew up as well. The assumption was always like, and we all know that we have no sexual desires, so don't. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Just make sure that you don't let the guys do anything and fall into sin kind of thing. Uh, and for the guys, it was just like, just just wait, just get over the, the finish line, get married, and then then it's game on. Yeah. So, yeah. So really healthy stuff. Yeah. Um, so you can't, ima- we can't had- imagine how any of this toxic church, <laughs> like gender identity. Stuff yeah. Like no, just yeah. pure, just really yeah. just thick, good talk about flourishing yeah. you know no I, I once had a minister say to me that and this is when I was very young and you know there was more the courting sort of things and they said to me oh well you know loving someone's basically cognitive anyway you just have to choose to do it <laughs> that and sounds I thought, like a man going through things <laughs> and I thought so mysterious yeah. so so much romance yeah. um yeah that was that was really exciting and there was a time that they just put up a video of a guy walking down the street going, I have a crush on Joni or whatever. And that was basically the whole video. The minister stood up and said, don't be like that guy. And so having a crush per se is, you know. So, yeah. Oh, you know, man. Yeah, we're going to be really good at talking about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what and, and what you need in this space <laughs> is the male perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, it's especially just, especially around the issue of sex. Yeah. yeah, especially on the topic we've actually chosen. I should we're, we're we're meandering around the point. What we are doing in this episode is we're looking at a very good show uh, that we both thoroughly enjoyed called Fleabag mm. that has been on the BBC, and I think a number of people have been enjoying. And what we're interested in for this show is how it presents something of a modern confession. Mm. Um, in Augustine's Confessions, he writes in book two of the single desire that dominated my search for delight was simply to love and to be loved. And this show, Fleabag, uh, when we both watched it, we came to similar uh, ideas that this show presents something of a retelling of the confessions in ways, but different, of course, mm. because for Augustine, the confessions ends with um, embracing his one and only good, he calls it, which mm. is God. Whereas the show Fleabag does not end there, but nevertheless touches on so many of the same themes of desire, of uh, love, um, and of completion mm. that is discussed also, that I discussed also in the Confessions. Yeah. So Fleabag kind of follows the story of a woman in her early 30s who is a um, small business owner. She owns a cafe. 
And we see from the very beginning that she has a very active sex life um, and is constantly kind of pursuing sexual relationships, um, particularly of kind of a short-term variety. She's had a number of kind of um, semi-monogamous relationships uh, and things like that. Um, it's in pursuing this, in showing this, um, it's very funny, um, very self-aware. There's an interesting narrative device that exists all the way through both seasons um, mm. where she's she's always um, looking at or refer, looking at the camera, making comments to the camera and things like that. But in a, in a kind of unreliable narrator kind of way as well. So she's not, she's not, she's, she's very much kind of manufacturing the, uh, the persona that she's trying to give to the audience, whoever the audience might be. Um, and then uh, we find out as the show goes on that she's quite dysfunctional. She engages in kind of so, um, antisocial behavior. She has a tumultuous relationship with her godmother who um, her father married after her own mother, her mother passed away. She has a difficult relationship with her who is played brilliantly by Olivia Coleman. I think it's just a masterpiece. Her, her, she also has a tumultuous relationship with her um, highly successful sister who is very straight-laced and straight down the line. Um, and we discover as the show progresses that the reason that she is pursuing, well, at least my interpretation of the reason that she's pursuing um, sex almost compulsively is that she's dealing with the grief of the loss of her best friend that um, who, um, spoilers, attempted suicide because... Uh, the main character, who's not named by the way, he's only referred to as Fleabag, um, uh, slept with her boyfriend. Um, and so she's dealing with the guilt from that. Now, the second season I think is particularly interesting for Christians because she enters into a, a relationship, a platonic relationship to begin with, with a uh, Roman Catholic priest um, and falls madly in love with him. And throughout this, the series they kind of negotiate their deep love and affection for each other, culminating in them getting together. Um, the main character is an atheist and a very sarcastic and cynical one, yet through her love and intrigue in this person ends up kind of having the walls of that kind of skepticism and cynicism broken a bit with, with the, the light of faith coming in in a very interesting way. Now, the priest figure is very problematic in all, all sorts of ways, a little bit predatory in my opinion, um, but nevertheless, he offers a fascinating reflection of how a person who has devoted their life to God can have their desires and loves disordered and things like that. Mm. So I'd say that is basically the show in a, nut, in a nutshell. It's a show about how we process grief. It's a show about our desires and how our desires relate to the quest for God, essentially. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think just... And it's brilliant. Yeah, it's one of my favorite that, shows. That's what I was going to say. It's it's a very good show. So mm. it has a beautiful theatrical quality mm. to it. And it's clear, you know, she's a playwright. Mm. The um, the um, Phoebe Walker. Oh, no, oh, this is terrible. Goes, terrible. <laughs> anyway, the creator is a playwright. And, in fact, it has these um, archetypal characters. So she's called Fleabag. The priest is just simply called uh, Priest. Yeah. Um, her father is called Father. Yeah. These characters don't, all, the not all of them have names, yeah. right? And they're just sort of there to almost for a stage. Phoebe Waller-Bridge there. Yeah. Liam has kindly Googled for us because we're yeah. terrible people. Um, so, you know, and it, and, it's, and it just evokes a lot of things. So there are a whole bunch of thematics. You know, there are um, fascinating questions about um, 
you know, modern, uh, the modern woman and, and, uh, um, within feminist, uh, themes, right. Mm. Um, she has this great moment where she's in a Quaker, mm. uh, meeting and just stands up and sort of questions her own, her own commitment to feminism. I want, you know, I don't want to do too many spoilers, right. <laughs> but like, it's some wonderful ideas and there's tragedy there as well. Mm. So tragedy by that, I mean the, um, understanding that while we may inhabit a moral universe, that sometimes we can't bring harmony to mm. our values. So the tragedy that is precipitated by loving someone who cannot necessarily requite that love, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, but I think the show really um, brings in ideas about how we relate to one another and how our relations with one another may be thwarted by ultimately what Augustine would see as forms of self-love mm. or loving things um, without an understanding of how they should be loved in grace, which grace is to understand that we love something because it is loved by and it is um, uh, loved by God. Um, that is, it is uh, seen as worthy of love by mm. God. Um, so how we relate to one another in this show is fascinating because um all the characters show forms of what you'd call mimetic rivalry. Yeah. Now, this is a term you'd get from René Girard, <coughs> where desire for Girard, the French anthropologist, is seen as imitative or mimetic. Um, this can generate friendship, as in my friend David and I both desire that really awesome Batman statue, mm. right? But then that can also generate conflict. We both desire the really awesome Batman statue, and so we will conflict over this. Um, Augustine obviously um, develops this idea as well through the fraternal rivalry that he says founds the Roman city mm. between Romulus and Remus, this idea that they must be the founder and so they enter into a conflict with one another. And there's an idea there that the desire may be in ways good, it's, it's pointing towards something true, like founding a city, a community, but it's perverted, right? It's perverted towards, in this case, trying to better the other. So in this uh, fi not film, this um, uh, uh, show, Fleabag, mm. you get these really interesting um, destructive forms of desire. So mm. um, her, her Fleabag and her sister, Claire, are engaged in both loving one another but a mimetic rivalry. Yeah. So Claire, at one point, turns to her and just seemingly out of the blue, although it's been simmering away, just says to her, I want to be the zany one yeah. who runs a cafe yeah. and, uh, you know, lives a carefree life and so on. This is Claire, her sister, who is a incredibly successful multi-millionaire uh, multi businesswoman, mm. right? And then at the same time, Fleabag is looking around Claire's office mm which is, you know, the size of most apartments mm. and thinking she's, you know, yeah. thinking I'm the one. So there's this kind of the sisters are both engaged in forms of love, but at the mm. same time, this sort of rivalry and desire uh, for what the other person has. The godmother is fascinating in this respect, as you said, mm. played brilliantly, right, mm. as this ultimate epitome of passive aggressiveness. But that passive aggressiveness comes from, in ways, I think, this um, desire to ape on or imitate or rob the uh, daughters of the love they had for their mother. Yes, right? to be a replacement. To be a replacement yeah. in the father's eyes. Yeah. And so she constantly makes comments about the mother mm. um, to try and efface her, yeah. to try and place her out of the scene. And and there's uh, even, um, you know, there's this statue that yeah. follows throughout all the show and it's um it's and an it's an idol basically yeah yeah and 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 then you learn it that this is very bad if you haven't watched the show you need to go watch it because <laughs> i'm about to say at the very end fleabag learns 
that the statue, which is basically mm. the cast of a naked woman without mm. a head, um, was modelled after Fleabag's yeah. mother. And the godmother is the artist who made this, right? Mm. And the statue there actually seems to echo you know, cont- uh, ancient um, statues of fertility mm. and so on. And so there's this idea there that, like, she's um, she's created a model, an idol out of the girl's, the daughter's mother, yeah, right, yeah. who she is at the same time trying to efface, yeah. right? So you have all these interesting um, notions that friendship or uh, relationships with those that we love can be the source of of crippling um, self-referentiality or or self-deceit or self-aggrandizing or self-defense, you know, things that actually dissolve community. Does the bank manager fit fit into this as well? So the the bank manager who uh, at the beginning of the series uh, may or may not have intentionally sexually harassed Fleabag and then she sees him in this men's retreat working through their hatred of women kind of thing and, uh, you know, kind of redemptive way right and then they kind of are confronted with each other at the end and then he reveals that you know he's been kicked out of the house for womanizing kind of thing and he gives her a confession basically going i just miss my wife and you know he has these unruly desires and he wishes that he could just return to the domicile which is the idea there that that these desires beautiful scene yeah, yeah beautiful and these desires are not um in themselves evil mm. Right, so Augustine has this idea that evil is the privation of the good. Evil doesn't have existence in itself. Evil is your inability to fully realize the good, fully mm. pursue the good. So here, what you're discussing, mm. he has a right, you know, a desire for relationship with others, but it goes completely awry. So even mm. Augustine says, you know, murdering someone mm. has, uh, you know, an element of uh, you do that for maybe you do it for you know, particular reasons of vain glory and so on. Mm. There's something almost virtuous there, but not, but completely robbed yeah. of all virtue because it's misdirected yeah. in that manner. Or even, um, uh, this is probably jumping ahead a bit and you'll return to it a bit later, but there's a fascinating scene where she gets given a um, voucher for counselling for her birthday from her father. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and she goes to see a therapist. It was a brilliant, brilliant scene. And she confesses to ha- wanting to have sex with a priest. Yeah. And the Counselor quite insightfully says, "You you actually just want to have sex with God, uh, which is to, which is a fast is a kind of maybe a crude way of putting it, mm. but it's actually your desire to have this person who has made a vow not to have a mm. sexual relationship is actually your desire for communion with God." Right. right, right. <laughs> so even uh, you mentioned before, she the first season is orienting is oriented around um, the death of her friend mm. and Fleabag's complicity in that, right? Mm. And that just how it weighs on her, and it's and it's done in a really, you know, quite gripping way. Can I say every time you refer to her as Fleabag, it makes me think of Bart Simpson referring to the character in Die Hard as Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and then Die Hard goes out and does this. Yeah. Sorry, I can't get it she, out of my head. She. Well, it's her name. You never get a name for her, right? Yeah. So it's just, it's yeah. fascinating. Um, but she's referred to as Fleabag on in the materials that the show produces. So, yeah, right. Yeah, um, in the synopsis, but well. but Augustine has this in the Confessions again has this really interesting reflection where he says uh, he's reflecting on the death of his friend, mm. and he says uh, uh, one line: "What mindful, what mindlessness it is not to know how to love human beings humanly." Mm. Now, Rowan Williams has this great essay, Augustinian Love, in which he discusses and unpacks this that. What Augustine's reflecting on is that even our grief 
can be turned inward to ourselves to become kind of almost a form of self-love or a narcissistic mm. kind of love because we fall in love with the grief itself yeah, yeah. rather than yeah. remembering the subjectivity of the person, yeah. the person having their own integrity, right? Yeah. So in this Fleabag narrative in ways, yes, it's beautiful, but in ways it's part of her own sort of solipsism, yeah. I think, is that this character can only be understood, this dead character, mm. can only be understood as part of her self-destruction, Yeah. right? And that's uh, that's not a criticism, like, oh, that's just to say, that's what we do yeah. in ways, right? We, we, we narrate people into our lives that it consumes them yeah. within our own story. Yeah, it actually, it reminds, fascinating, it reminds me of um, uh, Auden, W.H. Auden's conversion, where he, he, he um, apparently, from what, if I'm remembering this from uh, rightly, uh, what, one of the things that um, was an impetus for him and a couple of other people's conversion was they had this deep, profound friendship, um, but on, in their kind of materialist worldview, there was no legitimacy. There was nothing. There was no kind of metaphysical legitimacy mm. to that love between mm. them, and they were actually longing for another love that would grant meaning to this relate the relationship between them. And that was the quest for. That's what sparked the quest for God for Auden was mm. he wanted the love of God to give meaning to and shape to the love of his friends. Um, yeah. Well, you could think of that in this case, right, with the priest ultimately. So the second season is a love story in ways about mm. how her and this priest fall in love. Mm. But it ultimately, although they um, have sex, they, mm. they, they can't continue in this mm. relationship, he decides. And it poses there... The idea, though, that this is where it's different to Augustine, I think. Mm. It poses there that love of God and love of, in this case, Fleabag, yeah. are rival goods. Yeah. You know, that he has to choose between one or the other. Yeah. When actually, um, you know, the idea would be from if he is a priest in the Catholic order, mm. that his rightly ordered love should be he loves her because of God yeah. or he loves her because she also is oriented towards God as her mm. end. Um you know uh, what? What um, Ron Williams in the same essay refers to as a fathom, fathomless meaning mm. that she has because she is God is embedded in her such that loving her is to love yeah. God also, but to do that rightly, yeah, right, that produces a harmony in which the two of them can be oriented towards God as yeah. opposed to it being a rival good of I have sex with you or mm. I pursue God. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. So you, what you're saying is, um. There, even even the fact that he has made a vow to of celibacy um, doesn't mean that there's a competition between his love of God and his love of this other person mm. because that love can be transformed and ordered in such a way is that it the love of the person becomes an expression of that love of God. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is... So, again, talking about Ron Williams and yeah. talking about sex, but then also love generally. Mm. Ron Williams has a brilliant essay that many listeners may already know called mm. The Body's Grace, mm. right, in which he's understanding what is the body's grace. The body's grace is to experience the other as loved by God mm. and and the um, and the sort of aesthetic, aesthetic discipline that's required to experience the person in that way. Now, he talks about that in the context of sexual relations, right, mm. that <laughs> it's there where in our pure vulnerability, mm. we have to come to know the other person and, and, and what Rowan Williams describes is almost a tragic comic sense, right? Yeah. Like there's a lot of comedy involved yeah. in these sorts of things. But at the same time, he says it's not just about sex. It's also about our um, 
relationships of faithfulness as such. Yeah. Right? So he talks about the vow of celibacy as well is kind of to understand one's body is oriented and towards mm. God as a fullness, as a, as a complete understanding of, um, you know, the time required to mm. fully experience love, the uh, purging of one's, um, you know, self-deceit, one's yeah. self-love, one's selfishness and so on in order to pursue that love that is required both in marriage but is also required in any sort mm. of relationship of love as well. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of um, Jean Vanier makes a similar point and I've been trying to uh, bring this into my own social practice as well. Jean Vanier saying uh, being someone who lived and worked amongst people with intellectual disabilities, big pioneer in that area. And uh, recognizing the importance of uh, recognizing and even people whose humanity is kind of impenetrable to us because of a lack of communicative power, recognizing that their, that their primary reality of that person is that they are someone who's loved by God mm. and then embracing their humanity through, through that love. And that, that's um, reading that this week actually um, was profoundly challenging for me dealing with, yeah, people, both people with disabilities that I work with as well, um, but people generally, just the discipline of going, I'm going to treat this person who is in front of me who I find difficult mm. as a messenger of God's grace mm. embodied. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even when they profoundly have this, yeah, difficult behaviors. Yeah, so Williams talks about, he opens this essay by saying, um, um, talking about our sexual relations as, the place where we most know that is quite simply the place where we begin to be taught whatever maturity we have. You know, so it's where we learn if we're actually a mature person or yeah. not, right? Because and he, and he even refers to it as a sort of doomed enterprise that we all fail in that can be comical and so on, but it teaches us something of what it means to be human. Mm. Um, and, and, and Fleabag herself in this show echoes this, right? She has this line where she says, and she says, I'm not obsessed with sex. I just can't stop thinking about it. And she says, <laughs> the performance of it. She yeah. says, the performance of it, the awkwardness of it, the drama of it, the moment you realize someone wants your body, not so much the feeling of it, right? So that desire, mm. the body's grace, is the desire, is the notion that you can be wanted mm. and, and that you can be recognized as someone worthy of love, right? And this permeates through the, this TV show, right? Yeah. That she is desiring... Um, some kind of solidity there yeah. that she is recognized as for um, a sense of worth. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's a very, um, I found it just incredibly difficult to watch, mm. but the scene where she's doing the confession, oh, right? Yeah. And she offers up a confession mm. and he's, and the priest at this point is drunk. Yeah. And what does she say at the, when she gets to the end of it? She, yeah. So it's a, it's an amazing just as a profound scene um, where she begins by kind of giving this salacious kind of seductive recounting of all of her sexual sins and things like that. Um, and then she she changes tone and she says, she begins to say, I don't something. And the priest says, oh, you don't know what you want. That's fine. She goes, she goes I know exactly what I want. I want someone to tell me what to do. I want someone to tell me what to wear. I want someone to tell me what to believe, what to love, what to hate, what to who to vote for and all that thing. I thought it was just, it's just such an amazing scene because I think it's, it's a betrayal of some, something really deep in the modern psyche um, around our, how our unfettered desire or our unfettered pursuit of 
the desire to desire to be desired for sensual pleasure um, and things like that. How that um, how because of that complete liberation and autonomy, we can end up craving kind of quite destructive forms of subjugation. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think there's something I haven't quite worked all the nuts and bolts up there, but there's something deeply theological there. How we can create even in in our most um, reckless abandon in our pursuit of autonomy and pleasure, we can construct fetishes for ourselves to subordinate ourselves to. Well, it's kind of. I, mean, I think there's something theological in there. So, I'm not quite. I'm so not quite there in, yet. In his in his on Christian doctrine, Augustine says that people are to be used mm. uh, for the ultimate enjoyment of yeah. God. Now he means used quite differently. So mm. what you're describing there yeah. is using someone instrumentally, right? Yeah. As a matter of your self pleasure, yeah, or your self love, but then a desire to be used, like right. to be controlled, <laughs> right? I think that, yeah, but I, I, yeah, that's yeah. that's right. But I think it's interesting to look at it from the priest perspective yeah. there as well, in which he comes and, mm. and starts, you know, uh, kissing her and so on. And no, I think they they're about to, and then the picture falls off. Yeah, the no, no, but they're making <laughs> out at this point. Oh, but right, it's right, also okay. he's broken the confessional yeah, yeah. context, which is just. You know, I mean, it, it it's really awkward. To I'm watch. against it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really <laughs> difficult watching, right? Yeah. But um, but I think it's interesting because what the priest is doing there is he's not, you, in Augustine's language, he's not using Fleabag rightly. Now, mm. when I say using, I don't mean instrumentalizing yeah. her. I mean he's not understanding her as possessing her own subjectivity, mm. in which she is not just instrumental in his journey mm. towards, in this case, you know, for um, releasing some sexual desire, but actually that she has in her nature an orientation to God, mm. right, and that that is to be cultivated. If she loves ah. him, then the use to use her is to actually yeah. is to actually form communion with her, such that she can ultimately pursue yeah. God. Because there's there's a fascinating now uh, that can be done. That can be done in marriage, you know, yeah. in relation in sexual yeah. relationships. That can be done. Right, it's just that yeah. he's a priest who's made a different kind yeah. of path, and so it creates a problem. Yeah. So I wonder whether there's a facet. There's a this. This might illuminate a really interesting narrative device that happens in the show. <coughs> um, so as I said at the beginning, uh, throughout the show, Fleabag looks to the camera. She talks to the audience and things like mm. that. In the second season, she, when she's with the priest, she starts doing it, and he sees her doing it, mm. and he see like he sees her trying to interact with the audience. And I wonder whether that's actually him recognizing her relationship to to the divine. Oh, I thought that's how way. I read it because so I it's read actually it. he it's him grasp grappling grappling with trying to affirm that this is a creature in relationship yeah, to God. And that his and, and that's is, his vocation. And he he needs to learn to actually let her have her exactly. Own in, including, you know, she you know, so I'm, Augustine, I feel very proud right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, so yeah. for Augustine, it's God is actually yeah. embedded in your person, yeah. right? That uh, you, when you come to your uh, understanding, your will, and your memory, God is present to all these things. And so, in a sense, when I go to pray, mm. I'm not acting autonomously under Augustinian conception, but I'm drawn by God's own self to pray. Yeah. And this happens to Fleabag, right? Yeah. She finds herself going to kneel down to pray and it's interrupted at that moment yeah. by the drunk priest right yeah. and whereas a po- Who, oh, I, and, and then god him, himself right. seems to interrupt the priest right. through pictures falling off right. the wall right but i read the same thing when when she <laughs> yeah. when he starts seeing her breaking that fourth wall i thought again this has a certain echo of augustine right yeah, because yeah. 
Augustine was drawn towards God um, in the first instance yeah. by the eloquence and the um, character of Am- St. Ambrose, yeah. right? Ambrose Milan. And you've got the same similar idea, mm. except it's kind of tracking in a more sexual manner, right? Yeah, yeah. That she's being drawn towards and he's got this capacity to help her, but actually it goes sort of awry. Now, the last thing I wanted to... Um, I want Can I say yeah. a very minor thing, returning to our awkward youth group stuff, yeah. is that actually like there's, a, there's an important thing there about... Um, masculine um, projections onto the feminine uh, that you actually, that my experience in youth group, um, you are trained to do to actually um, disregard the creatureliness of women mm. through things like, you know, segregated talks on sex and yeah, things like right. that. That you actually, um, you know, denied, you know, uh, embracing women as having their own subjectivity or even inner life because all the voices that you hear in, in church and youth group are all the masculine voice. You don't actually get engaged with female subjects. Well, you can go further yeah. because you could say, so Sarah Coakley mm. says this um, in her wonderful book, um, what's the name of the book? Um, God, Sexuality and the Self, Self right? Yeah. Um, where she says that, you know, Augustine, you mentioned it before we, before we went to air, you said, um, you know, Augustine sometimes is just seems anti-sex, right? Like he's a kind of like, oh, it's a bit ick, <laughs> you yeah. know, sort of stuff. Um and he's because he sees it as the need to control one's concupiscence, right? Yep. The idea that you don't have control. So Adam and Eve. And literally to uh, control your erection. As exactly. Well. Yeah. So Adam and Eve are like the bee's knees mm. because they are completely at one in yep. the will to have sex when they want to, as yep. opposed to being at odds with one another and so on. So he says you have complete rational control mm. sort of thing. So Sarah Coakley flips this around and says, you know, rather than uh, a simply a discourse of control that we need to regulate our passions and so on, uh, in order to be chaste, she says that actually we should maybe start thinking of sexual desire as aligned with desire for God, you know, the ascent towards God himself as love. So sex talk, she says, is really about God. It's the potent reminder, this is a quote from her, the potent reminder woven into our earthly existence of the divine unity, alliance, co-mingling mm. that we seek. Now, she says that requires transformation as in it requires us to, um, you know, uh, grace to overcome the lust to possess, to mm. abuse control that you mentioned. But it is a fundamentally good thing. And she says this is more of a feminist understanding of the generative and the sort of um, the delight of that relationship as mm. opposed to it being fundamentally something they have control. So it comes back to your youth group, right? Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. separate them out and you say to the boys, ah, Control yourselves, you know, this sort of stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, anyway, the last and, thing. And the girl's like, you don't have a sexuality, that's gross. Yeah, the, la- <laughs> the last thing I wanted to say was just, I just wanted to just finish on like how um, how quite beautiful it is in its, trage- mm. in its tragedy. So, you know, Augustine in the Confessions talked about, I loved the self-destruction, I loved my fall, or right? he took mm. pleasure in stealing the pears because it provided a sort of sociality and so on. But there's something there as well in Fleabag about, um you know, when she finds herself in this self-destructive mode and she's just simply wandering, there's those scenes where you see her wandering the streets of London throughout the entire night mm. and, you know, she's crying and this sort of thing. And it just has this beautiful, I think, mm. evocation that is in the confessions as well, that the wandering of the soul, you know, the wandering of the soul mm. trying to find, you know, solidarity, unity, love mm. with another is also that story of creation, right? That creation itself is in this sort of pilgrim wandering and that it looks for that communion, that solidarity, that love. Mm. 
Well, um, hopefully you've watched Fleabag before. <laughs> <laughs> We've just done that. Hey, discussion. you know what? Liam has it, and he's sitting right here. Yeah, it is amazing. Even if you, if, even if he's looking grim, it is. He's folding his arms. He's flexing his muscles. It is uh, something else, and hopefully we've helped you appreciate it on a deep, and <laughs> deeper, and more correct level. Yeah, that's right. We did <laughs> oh, it for gosh. Avengers. Yeah. We um, did it for Avengers. We do it for Fleabag. We're going to um, keep coming back to these. You sets. might not know that because apparently no one listened to that episode. So, um, you've been listening to You Could Ask Free. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, we'll we might drop a few. Uh, we've talked about a lot of various thinkers uh, this episode. Uh, we might drop some um, suggested reading on the social medias. You can find us uh, on Facebook um, uh, by just searching the You Catastrophe on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at UCAT. That's E-U-C-A-T underscore podcast. Um, please uh, like us, subscribe to us, uh, share us around. Don't let us be your dirty, illicit pleasure. <laughs> uh, let your let your love of our podcast shine. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> but thanks so much. Uh, we'll take next week off um, as we kind of research and re- for our next set of recordings and then we'll see you a week after that. Bye. <laughs>